G'day legends and welcome to the Unbeatable series where we'll be hearing from inspirational, influential and impactful souls to empower you to live your unbeatable life. Keep thriving and enjoy. Nath Cartledge is a proud husband, father, and grandfather. He's a creative and successful entrepreneur and business owner. He's a passionate leader, podcaster, and coach. I've been working with Nath since 2017. I first started as his coach just for physical training, helping him achieve his weight loss goals, then Kokoda goals, and to maintain health and fitness goals. Then one day, I invited him into my office to to do a deep dive session with him, where I asked him plenty of questions and plotted everything out on my big whiteboard right in front of him. And that's where I really saw some light bulbs go off. So Nate then continued with several of these deep dive sessions, loved them, got a lot out of them, a lot of evolution through that uh, alongside of his physical training sessions. He then did my online group coaching program, the Breakthrough Program, in April 2021 when I was living in Sweden and transferred everything online and then graduated into my mastermind and has been an involved member of there since July 2021. And I invited Nate onto the Unbeatable series because... I wanted you to hear from some everyday legends who are really relatable. Nath has personally influenced me through his curiosity and his wisdom and his value of contribution. He's a genuine, humble, kind-hearted man, and I'm honored to bring him onto the podcast to share his value with you guys. But before we hear from Nath, Just a quick reminder to all blokes listening, it's a reminder if you've listened to uh, the last couple of episodes, but if you haven't, you can go back and find out more info about this. But blokes, if you're feeling like you're a bit behind the eight ball at the moment or lacking energy and inspiration or experiencing some relationship drag or all of the above or have that burning desire to get around other legends who are playing the game at a higher level so you can raise the bar too, then you can check out Unbeatable You which is kicking off October 24th. Unbeatable You is not a program. It's a way of life. It's this opportunity to shift from feeling de-energized and uninspired to feeling energized and inspired. An opportunity to shift from this feeling maybe of midlife mediocrity to midlife mastery. This opportunity to shift from your experiences of maybe relationship drag to having thriving relationships. You can find out all the info at brettrobbo.com forward slash unbeatable you. Okay, now let's hear from the legend himself, Nath Cartledge. Nath Cartledge, you bloody legend. Welcome to Your Life of Impact and the Unbeatable series. Uh, Awesome, Robert. Thanks so much for having me, mate. It's such an honor to be your first guest on the Unbeatable series. I am well, first. No, you're actually not. I was just going to say, I've just burst the bubble for you. Sorry, mate. You're actually second, but you're, you're not second important, the least important. Yeah, you're, you're just as important as everyone else. <laughs> being second, being second's okay with me. <laughs> you're just on the podium. <laughs> no, mate, it's uh, the, the honor is all mine. I'm super grateful uh, to have you on. It's going to be an epic journey. And I'm going to start off uh, asking a question that I know is a question that you love to ask a lot of people. and that is, who is Nath Cartledge? Oh, 
you got me. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I should have asked for the questions pre. You got me off the cuff. No, who am I? Well, I like to explain who I am, who I am by really by my values. And I I personally believe that the the values that are innate to us, not sometimes the values that we want to go after, but the innate values really do display our identity. So uh, I am a, a, a husband, a father, uh, a lover of life. Um, I am a person that's built for courage. So I, I like to think that that's part of my identity. Uh, and I am um, someone that anchors really well into faith. So faith is a part of my identity. It's who I am. Um, I'd like to believe I'm also inspirational uh, and that's not flexing that's evidential so so if you'd ask me in short who am I and I'd say well I'm Nath uh, because I believe I was those values were innate uh, before that we listen to the bullshit you know before we listen to things that tell us who we're not you know and who we should be and stuff so that were there love I it. Hope that answers I hope that answers properly but and that's that's just the way I operate now I'm I'm a values person, so that's that's where I, I believe my identity is based in. There is no properly, there is no right or wrong. It's whatever feels good for you. So that gives us a bit of clarity. And you said you're a family man, you're a you're a husband and a and a father and also a grandfather. And from yeah. what I see that you are not just a family man, but you're a, a very connected family man. Family is obviously one of your top core values and priorities, and you have a really great relationship with all of your kids and also your beautiful wife. Yeah, that's true, Rob. Like I am who I am because of them. And that's I think it's the people in your world that really do help create the better you. And I would only say that I've become the better me because of my wife. Uh, who's continually pushed me to grow and taught me how to love unconditionally. Uh, I think that's the same with my kids, is the unconditional love just come flowing out of me with my kids. And now I'm a poppy or granddad or grandfather, or whatever tag you like, I have learnt how deep, a deeper love than I've ever experienced with being a poppy to little Donnie. Yeah. That's beautiful, mate. But, yeah. Has it all been smooth sailing? How old are your kids now? Uh, okay. So my kids, my oldest is 31 and my youngest is 21. And we have two in between, which is 22 and 24. Eldest is a boy. He's married. They're all partnered up except for Ruby in the middle. And to say smooth sailing, I just don't think there's such a thing as smooth sailing. I think no way. And I wouldn't change it. Um, the smooth sailing part is not existent in life, and we can't be that naive to think we will have smooth sailing. But has it been adventurous? Has it been fun? Has it been hard? It's been all those things. But yeah, not smooth sailing. No, can't, doesn't even come into my vocabulary that one. <laughs> I guess that could be a part of my identity that I don't like smooth sailing. <laughs> I, I'm I'm stoked to hear that. I kind of asked that as a bit of a selfish question to know uh, because it's already not smooth sailing in my three and a half years experience so far. So to know that that's a normal thing, it's it's blessing to the ears. <laughs> yeah, and and you don't want to change it. 
you just you get more gold and you know you know yourself the statements of quotes and and that pressure produces diamonds and i think the for me that I, I i see my son and what he's doing now and i see my my daughter mia who you saw a few minutes ago and what she's doing and my my other two daughters and what they're doing and their partners and they're achieving and i see that's that's diamonds in what they're doing you know they're, they're actually producing some really cool gems oh, so, that's beautiful and from a father's perspective and and we'll talk about the business side of you as well but have you ever felt pressure to provide as a father of four and for your wife and for the family do you know it's such an interesting question, Robbo? It's something that I'd say that every man would say, yes, I feel the pressure to provide. But the greater pressure that I felt was to be more me, to find the hidden me so I can be the better person for them. And that was that's always been my greater pressure. And I know... Even some of your listeners will probably say, yeah, I understand that, but, you know, to provide you, we're the hunter, the gatherer. You know, we go out, we kill, we bring in, and and that's what we do. But, but I believe that what our society needs is more people who are being the better themselves. And I've always felt myself pressure to be a better version of me every day. And so I'd say that outweighs the pressure to provide. Even though there is that, and we've had plenty of struggles in that area with um, going through bankruptcy and business flows and up and down and, and things like that, we've, we've felt that pressure. But my pressure has, the greater pressure has been for me to be the better Nathan every day. And so shifting gears then to the that business side, because we'll loop back around to that, that feeling. Uh, and the reason I asked that, and I think a lot of guys would understand that, that they feel the pressure. If they do feel it, we put it on ourselves if, if it is there and, but it's all, it's, it's valid um, to, to feel it, but not valid to operate from that space. So in, in terms of that business, and you said there are a few of your challenges that you've had uh, the, when I first met you, I think it was 2017 or 2018 at uh, Elevation Complete Health and Fitness Center on the Gold Coast there in Burley. And all I knew about you then, mate, was that uh, you had some training goals, and so that's what we were working towards. But the more training that we did, uh, the more conversations that we had, and there was quite a lot of the smash sessions at 5 or 6 a.m. on the beach there at the Gold Coast, and we'd get into some pretty good conversations. And the more we chatted, the more I learned about who you really were and what you had to offer. And I used to, I think I got more out of the training sessions than what you did because I would come back and say to my gorgeous wife, man, that was a bloody good chat with Nath. I, I can't believe he pays me to to give me all of that wisdom. And, you know, there was some really good connections there. But before we talk about the evolved version of Nath, uh, you know, and you mentioned there before, what all I knew about you in terms of business was that uh, you had a painting business. So, what was that business? Where did that kind of start and how did you get it up to quite a successful business that it was? Uh, yeah, well, or I, is. I, I was a, yeah, okay. Yeah, thanks, Robert. Um, but I was a uh, painter by trade, like a, a decorating, house decorating painter um, by trade. So, But I've always had a, um, yeah, and, and I just got to the point where I couldn't work for someone. So then... 
accidental businessman. And if you if you look at the book, the E Myth, uh, I was I was originally the technician, <laughs> and then tried to become the manager. But I was always a frustrated entrepreneur, and <laughs> so um, and so like I I just went on the journey of of starting this business. I got out of it a few times and started something else. Development got into development, which really intrigued me, um, and then just always had a trade to fall back on. And so it's like that that thing that we grow up with from our parents is, or get a trade and you've got something to fall back on. I, I think I wish I'd never had. I wish I'd never had something to fall back on because it would have made me push forward faster. However, we started the business. I stepped out from working for someone after about eight years and then started off a little fledgling one-man business and just kept growing, kept growing, kept growing to the point where I remember the day and I remember where I was. I was working uh, on a... Uh, large retail for a large retail firm on in Australia and uh, we had I think we had something like 16 projects on the go I was on the tools on one of the projects I think I was getting through maybe an hour and a half of work in 10 hours because the rest of the time I was on the phone and I was stressed out I was never home I was traveling Australia and I just said to Amanda I said it's time it's time for me to get off the tools, which I tried to do at earlier stages and, and it bit me. And from that point on, I started feeling a bit more fulfilled because it was really me to be an organiser, really me to, to build business that way. So then we just kept going and kept growing and kept growing and kept growing the wrong way and wrong way and putting more staff on and didn't have the right sort of mindset around business and and till we took on a big job in Brisbane for a company that um, a building company that that didn't really honor their word and we lost uh, quite a lot of money the responsibility there lays squarely on my shoulders though because that was my naivety and wanting to to build a bigger brand and build build a bigger business and we lost about four hundred thousand dollars and on that one job and so then it took a little process we were we stayed stay trading our, over three years after that project was finished and we just couldn't get ahead above water. Eventually it swallowed us and we went into, had to liquidate the company. We went in, both went into bankruptcy. We had some really bad advice given to us about how to do that and what to do there. And, and then we started another company after that, uh, which is now Paint Co Australia. And it's, uh, it's thriving. The one, the, all the lessons that we, where I were ignoring to learn in the old business, I definitely took on and learnt in the new one. So it's a very simple painting company now. It's structured so simply. I operate it. I actually don't necessarily even have to go to too many sites. I have one contractor. We do all the work all around Australia all the time, and it's a thriving business. And that's that business. So, And that's one of your businesses. We're going to learn more about some other ones shortly. But I want to know what are some of the greatest learnings from your business experiences whether it's those challenges and the hard times or whether it's the good times what are your, some some of your key learnings i think um my key learning is is now ego is not a bad thing I mean, we both know that um but it's necessary ego that was involved yeah absolutely um but the ego that's involved in trying to grow a big business too fast is my best learning. It's like it doesn't get me more. 
It really doesn't. It just costs more, costs more. It nearly costs us our marriage. It nearly costs us everything. And so um, the biggest learning is, is to actually thank the ego for trying to protect me and but use the wisdom that's innate that's that's immediate you know don't let the time frame of thinking about something stop you from doing what you really know you should and so the good times are always when everything's working seamlessly but once again we know there's no such thing as smooth sailing especially not in my life robo anyway so um, <laughs> i wouldn't have it any any other any other way um so yeah, the, the biggest learning would definitely be uh, learning how to operate with the ego better than I did. The good times are seeing kids come out of their apprenticeship and now operate their own businesses, whether it be multi-staff businesses or one-man businesses. And there's been a bunch. We've had a bunch of apprentices mm-hmm. come through and they're operating now. One young guy that we have had come through our business um, and I always knew he had leadership about him, but he's running a very thriving painting company that does insurance work, and they're just growing to the next level. Um, and my own son, Miles, who would never listen to me working for me, which I understand <laughs> the, the heads and sons sometimes, but he's now running a very thriving painting business on the Gold Coast, and he learned all this stuff through us. And so they're the good times. They're the yeah, good I love times, it. Sure. Legacy, bit of legacy, bit of rippling impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got a few other businesses on the go now. Give us a little bit of a brief snapshot of what those are and how they operate because I think for other business owners and entrepreneurs listening, there'll be two boats here. There'll be one boat that will be listening to you and saying, I get it, like he sees opportunity and he runs at it and this is why he's created these other businesses. And then there'll be other entrepreneurs in another boat saying, how the fuck do you do it all? i'm struggling with one or i'm you know it it consumes me enough yeah yeah i think i'm a little like before i get into that i'll just like to explain something else about me is is yeah i see opportunity and run with it i'll come up with i'm an ideas person so i believe that we all have a creativity some of it displays in art like that beautiful piece of art that you love in the front office here Mm, i'm probably going to pinch that um, from you by the way if you let me into the office after hours, it might not yeah, be like there it. when you come in the next day. You would be strong enough to carry it off, I'd say, but generally it's a two-man carry that one. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, you might you might have be art like like this sort of art, you know, might or you might be an artist like music or or and I don't think there's been enough credit ever given to creativity in business. And mm. we call them entrepreneurs, but then if we really think about the creative side of someone who thinks, uh, then we generally, and Jordan Peterson says this, we shove them into the mail rooms in the businesses because they're too hard to handle. Mm. Um, and that's the wrong way to think. And that's who I've always been. I've always been a very creative thinker when it comes to business. And so it has always been a downfall for me, but it's also now a very big strength because of the people I've put around my world. And that would be number one is if you're going to have multi-businesses, have people around the world that actually can either do the thing for you or give you the advice to, for the direction. So that's that's how I've done this. So the other businesses, so I, I would say that one of my best gifts is being a creative thinker. And you highlighted that before when you said about me paying for those uh, training sessions. And believe me, I think I got more value out of it than you ever did. <laughs> but 
we, we can argue that fact. And well, we're going to have plenty of good conflabs, you and I, in, in the future now. You're back here for a while. So, um, but I've always been a creative thinker. And, and those things always, best businesses always comes out of frustration. Like, I'm frustrated with this. So, how can I creatively think to do it better? One of my values is simplicity. And so, if so, and I'm, and if you understand really simplicity, it's a very complex thing. You, if you look at Apple and their logo, it's it's so simple, but then the whole business is complex. And so there's there's needed to be creative thinking around taking something from being complex to simple. Mm. And so um, that's me. That's me in a T. That's my creative gift. Is I'm a I'm a thinker and I'm a, a person that not so much a solution based person. Although I can probably solve a lot of problems if I wanted to, but it's more like how can I take this really fucking hard thing and make it really fucking easy? And that's generally my way of thinking. So the other business that we jumped into a few years ago is I got really frustrated with software and platforms for like a CRM or a or a project management tool. And I looked at everyone that was uh, around and they were all too complex. They were all had way too much going on. And so my older brother sat with me one day and said, well, let's do a mind map of your industry. So we did a mind map and found every working thing. Again, the creative thinking. And saying all that to get to the short part of it is we developed an app that's called Simply Click. And it's a what they call a CMMS, which is a computerized maintenance management system. And we've developed that into an app where it helps businesses simply report their maintenance and get it done. So that's the second business that we have. And that's um, now it's operating well. It, it's taken a long time to get up off the ground. You know, um, they call it, um, oh, what do they call it? Um, bootstrapping. Bootstrapping mm. some software is a very hard thing to do. And we have been bootstrapping this thing. We sold our house and invested everything we can into this. We talked to our coach, Brett Robbo. I don't know if you know that guy. Pretty out there, amazing human. He gave us his four really out there questions, and we decided to go all in on it uh, a year ago. And now it's been operating in some businesses, which is fantastic. So Brilliant. that's that one. The others are sort of accidental. You know, the others are just like, oh, well, they're add-ons. And people might say, how do you do it all? Well, I have I have Mia, our daughter. She's our manager. So if you look at the Emith tree, it's uh, – I'm no longer a technician, which I never really was that good anyway as a technician. Um, we have Mia, the manager, and um, we hire technicians, and I'm the entrepreneur. So that's how that's how we do it all. Yeah. What's your zone of genius? Uh, oh, good question. My, my, yeah, can you elaborate on that one a yeah, little I'll, bit? Yeah, I'll give an example because a lot of people listening might know what might not know what I mean either. But and as entrepreneurs and and business owners, what we tend to do is like what you when we're the technician and we have all of these different hats, and generally that's how we have to start the business. You do most of the jobs, and you can outsource a little bit. And then what we should be doing is outsourcing as much as possible so that we can operate as much as possible in our zone of genius, which is the things that we are really good at and what we love to do. Because there's some things that we're quite good at, but we really don't love it. And there's some things that we love that we might love, but we might not actually be that good at. So we probably shouldn't be there either. So the zone of genius, in example, in my uh, coaching business, my zone of genius is coaching. 
My zone of genius is not video and audio editing. My zone of genius is not design and creative stuff at all. My zone of genius certainly isn't in tax and accounting. So these are all the things that I'm outsourcing for to to give me more space. My zone of genius is not copywriting. I can write stuff, but I can't do it. So outsourcing those kind of things so that I can spend more time coaching. And I love this podcasting. I think that's part of um, that zone of genius as well. But what do you find with with all of your business experiences uh, and that entrepreneur and not having to be the technician? What's your zone of genius? Okay, great question. Now you've explained that a little bit more. Um, my zone of genius is leadership, definitely. Um, I would say, and I, I, don't, I don't. Again, that's not a flex. Um, that's just evidential. And I, I think we see leaders. And, you know, the whole emotional agility or the emotional intelligence graph where we can have someone with great capacity, but they emotionally broken, they're not going to make a very good leader. And, you know, you know, the talks that we've had on the beach about Jim Collins's good to great uh, research book, which is phenomenal. So I've anchored into that. But my zone of genius is definitely leadership. So I look at leadership very differently than most, though. Um, I don't look at leadership as something that's authoritarian gift i look at leadership as something that is more an inspirational gift so it's uh i lead from the bottom up if that will explain but it will always look like i'm leading from the top down so i'll lead the way but my my job as a leader is to push people out of the nest into their creative gift and so in business it's the same it's exactly the same so i'd say my zone of genius is leadership i love coaching I love sitting one-on-one with people because if I had, if you, if I had, a, I was allowed to have four or five uh, zones of genius, um, I would just say leadership and connection is the two of my biggest ones. I absolutely love connecting one-on-one. I'm no, real, I'm not really good in a crowd. I, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm in introvert, although you know the two different types: extrovert, introvert. I would say that I'm a balance of both, but I take a long time. Like I'll be the guy sitting in the back of the room when someone new comes into the room, but I'll take the longest time to get to know that person, but I'll be with them forever. Whereas I'm not the person who likes just surface deep. I, I like going deep with people. So they're my, I'd say they're my two biggest zones of genius is my, my connection. I love connecting with people and leadership. Definitely. And you know what? They go hand in hand. So for great leadership is great connection. The book called The Culture Code, I can't remember if I shared that one with you recently. If not, I need to. Uh, you and I have shared many books and many podcasts uh, with each other. But what they talk about there is, um, you know, culture is created through uh, through connection and uh, through that feeling of safety. You don't have to tell people you feel safe here, but it's that feeling of safety. It's that um, betterment of the individual. So culture is a an individual first and the expansion through that. So when I hear you talk about leadership and, um, and connection, it's to be a great leader, you have to be a great connector with with an individual and know how to the influence model that we've spoken about a lot of, you know, that influential leadership is the ability to bring out the best in that person and then the ability to make them feel safe and then the ability for you to create an environment where they can thrive and do without restrictions their creative zone of genius themselves. And uh, from everything that you've said and what I see you creating, it, it, you know, it's happening and uh, I'm sure you're going to get to this, but Nate's also got his own podcast. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. And and so me as uh, a big player in that, as well as one of the other businesses is the the studio that's built around that. 
but I'm I'm keen to kind of understand a bit more about the leadership piece now because whether we are operating our own businesses and, and entrepreneurs or whether we're working in another space, um, from a work perspective, we all have an element of leadership required. But as individuals put the work side of our identity aside, self-leadership is vitally important. Hence why I'm, and I know you're exactly the same, but I don't believe that we can live our best lives if we don't explore the depths of who we really are and challenge ourselves and do some of the, like a lot of the work and really keep evolving uh, because we can't lead ourselves the best if we don't keep continually to do that work and evolve. Where does your leadership skills mostly come from? Was it on the fly or do you have you had some leadership experience and training? Uh, yeah, I haven't really. Yeah, I've look. I've been to a few leadership courses, and I've I've learned. You know, to be honest with you, Robbo, which I always will be. Um, I've learned a lot of leadership Thank you. from you as well. Thanks for, thanks for your honesty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've learned some. I've learned, look. I, I like to think that I learned leadership from everybody. Um, there's some people that it's like chew on the fish and spit out the bones. It's like, what can I learn from this person? And so. I guess I've been a student student of leadership all my life. From the moment, yeah, from the moment that we can start learning, which is right from the, the get-go, I think that I've I've been a study of leadership. And it's it's and it's like you said, it's not so much like I've gone and got an MBA or whatever in leadership, or I've gone and gone to university and studied uh leadership or anything like that. It's more I've studied people and seen uh leadership in different ways and what you said before is exactly the answer it's self-leadership first so if we can manage ourselves and we can lead ourselves correctly in the right way then we can pretty well lead anything and you know the biggest key to leadership is humility that's the number one key and to think that we're ever going to get there and be totally humble this side of the, of the big shift uh i i think that's probably a little bit of an arrogant statement i don't think there's anyone who's going to attain that uh, total humility because we have that beautiful other part of us called the ego it's trying to stop us from doing doing incredible things um so i'd say that i've, I've always studied people um, i've done leadership courses uh and i'd say that I, i've probably got uh maybe four percent of my understanding of leadership from those i've read plenty of books and there's understanding there but what comes out of my heart is what I've seen on other people. Uh, and I hope that explains that. Is well. one of those other people your dad? Because I know that he was a leader in the communities and your faith-based communities. Yeah, definitely. My dad was phenomenal. He was a phenomenal leader of people. Um, and again, that whole mindset of Real leaders are there to inspire people to step out of the nest, and he was one of those people uh, to to see the creative gift in other people that they can't see themselves, and not tell them they have to do it, but inspire them to investigate and go after it. He was that sort of leader, and so I did definitely shape a lot of my way I lead off him, but then not just him. There's been other pretty incredible people. In history that I've also looked at, like Martin Luther King, um, and you know, and uh, Nelson Mandela, and and even take it like this would be controversial, but 
Hitler was known as one of the greatest leaders of of that time. So do we just shun out because of what he, he was he believed what he was doing was absolute truth. He might have been high on narcotics, which was was evidential. He, he was, but his leadership style was quite phenomenal because of the how he was able to uh, inspire the whole of of Germany to be able to think that they were all doing the right thing. And so, can, can do we have the balls to go and say, oh, I can learn some leadership from a bloke who? should have been killed way, way, way back when. And he actually caused travesty to the Jewish nation and killed over 6 million Jews. Do, do I have the balls to actually look at his life and go, is there something I can learn from him? I think that's where I'm at. I, was, I watched, it, I listened to this beautiful, I didn't watch it, I listened to this beautiful podcast of Simon Sinek with Dear Khan, and I've spoken a lot about this on mine, and her ability to learn leadership from people. She is a journalist. She's a Muslim journalist, and she was asked to go. She she built a uh, a documentary around um, the white supremacist movement in America, the Ku Klux Klan. So for a start, there's some real broken. So I'm talking about leadership where we got it from. Uh, there's some real broken bits and pieces there already, isn't there? Like a white supremacist mm. movement, all male Ku Klux Klan. She was a coloured Muslim woman, uh, Indian, and she was able to infiltrate the white supremacist movement and sit and learn and listen to these guys and what they're doing. She did the same with the jihadist movement. And so I, I go, do we have the balls to learn from everybody? And I think we need to. Um, chewing the fish and spit out the bones, obviously. We don't want some of those bones that come along with people like Hitler. But um, that's what I would say. My dad, definitely, he was an incredible leader, but there's been many others that have shaped how I lead. And I think I, I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass, Robo, you know, but I, I, I'm going to say this. For self-leadership, you've probably been my best example. Thank you. Why? Um, because you go after it holistically. Now, I'd, I've known a lot of people in the faith movement in, in Christianity especially, and that's where I grew up under, but they will go after self-leadership spirit and spiritually, but not necessarily emotionally and not necessarily physically and not necessarily for the mind. They will look after one aspect of it mm. and that self-leadership in that area and restrict themselves from so many things and build yokes around their life that aren't, that shouldn't be there because they don't look after the other aspects, whereas you actually meeting you, and I've, I've known this stuff for a long time holistically, but, but actually seeing it activated on a person who is a optimal thriver of life, lover of life, <laughs> uh, like yourself. Um, and and so, you know, what I call you is the exceptional human. And I, I don't say that lightly. Actually, we always laugh about it, but I don't say that lightly because I think you're balancing, balancing the life well. And so for me, when it comes to self-leadership, that, that you are the example there for me. Thank you. Thank you very much. And as you speak about that and with faith-based communities, a couple of names come to mind where when you said it's not holistic from those communities so much, like Jamin Fraser, who you know, um, the American guy, Corey, the old, um Cody Jefferson. Cody, yeah. sorry. And there's a couple of other guys that I know as well that have been 
great leaders in their faith and very highly respected and massively influential and inspirational, but you hear their stories and they burn out and their relationships are challenged and often they turn to the bottle or something else. And so even that drive and that connection to faith isn't enough. So that's what, you know, when we look at the, uh, the unbeatable philosophies, that's what, when I look, because I, I look at how a human operates, and faith is a part of it, whether it's religion or what their belief systems are, and that's a huge part of it. But it can't, you cannot thrive consistently, long term, and have a great quality of life without looking at the other areas in around mind, body, breath, in around optimizing relationships, in around the, the tribe itself, and not just being the leader, but being a part of a, another tribe, maybe that that lifts you up as well. So you're not always the one that's trying to lift other people up from that leadership capacity, and and you know the mission based aspect is really inspiring from um, from faith based places. But it's really interesting to see, and and this is nothing against uh, the you know faith based uh, leaders because it happens in many different industries where it's one drive of leadership without looking at the other pieces of the puzzle and then wondering why that they can't sustain it. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And and for a long time, you know, for a long time, and and like I'll just talk about faith for a second if that's okay. Please do. Um, For a long time, if you look at history and and the Bible is the historical piece of, of Christianity uh, and people continually have changed the way that Jesus did things. So Jesus of Nazareth was the centre of the Bible and the establishment of faith. So, But people continually changed the way he did things and interpreted it their own way. And I still, for my, for I have no freaking idea why they've done this, but they, they, they still continually do it. But I think, like, as a human, he was, if you actually study him and take away the faith side of things, he was the uh, probably the example of a perfectly balanced body, mind, soul, spirit. Mm. He had the holistic self-leadership and health perfectly. And so people, like you said, faith-based movements, they, they burn out, they hit the wall. And Cody Jefferson is an example of how to come back. He's a very resilient person and a, and a great digital mentor. Um, I personally get a lot more out of physical mentors than I do out of digital mentors, by the way. Um, but they only have, it seems to me that the whole faith-based movement, whether no matter what religion it is, no matter what belief it is, they haven't taken that full holistic pro- approach properly. They've taken on spirituality um, and then maybe some physicality. Mm. maybe maybe a little bit of and i know that they're becoming very aware now of the emotional agility that's needed as a human and i'm involved in a a community here on the gold coast now that it's a very healthy very thriving community and they're all about emotional health they're all about physical health they're all about um that our emotional and the guy is a guy by the name of peter scazzaro who wrote a book called emotional spiritual healthy Mm-hmm. And and he's talking about, yeah, there's so many people go out there with their their spirituality and that can be any faith, Robbo. Mm. But if their emotions aren't aligned, uh, then they're actually, they're just, they'll burn out, like you yeah. said. Out of out. alignment. 
Yeah. So I, I believe that there's there's those two things. There's that beautiful word you just said then. There's those two things. Is we need to stay in alignment with our values, number one. We have to do that. And number two, we need to be holistic, have a holistic approach because it's like the barrel theory, right? The barrel theory is made up of, the barrel's made up of planks. So, but you can only fill the barrel to the level of the lowest plank. So that's your capacity and mm-hmm. story. So if your emotional health is down here, but your spirituality is up here and your physicality is here, mm-hmm. you can only fill it. Your capacity is only at the level of your emotions. So that's the work. Yeah. And speaking of the work, you've obviously done a lot of work over the years. I'm just curious to know, you've you've shared a couple of uh, pretty big challenges that you've had in your life, and I know you've had other personal adversities. How do you handle challenges and adversities these days differently to how you handled them back when you weren't uh, necessarily navigating those pressures of life so well? What do your processes look like these days compared to what they look like in the past? Yeah. Um, okay. Number one, it's taken a lot of – so I'm talking about my next season, which you are the first guest on my podcast on the next season. I'm on um, it. And talk, we're going to be talk, talking about resilience. And if you know really you know, the word resilience, it, it can actually trigger people. It can – you can think it's physical, but there's a lot more uh, work on uh, emotional re- resilience or psychological re- resilience needed to happen for you to be able to be better version of physical resilience and stuff like that. So the, the reason I'm saying that is because um, my journey was I lost my identity. I, I, it got eroded through a devouring uh, addiction it wasn't addiction. It was like a devouring shame, like toxic shame was a big part of my world. So I lost my identity because my self-worth got eroded. And that's what happens when we, it's the whole, if we if we do something wrong, we get guilty about it. We feel guilt. But, but we'll only, but if we do that again, then we start feeling shame. So guilt is we feel bad about something we've done, but shame is we feel bad about who we've become. Mm. Um, so for me, it became toxic shame. So I, I lost who I became because it got smothered under all that. And I, I'm getting to the answer of your question is how did I, how, how's my process now? Well, I'm very sure of my identity now. I, I don't have that problem that I had with toxic shame. I, my self-worth is intact. Like I, I care what people think. And then I don't care what people think. <laughs> you know, like I care that I leave a good impression on people, but I don't care for their criticism. I don't care for their approval. I don't care for their... Like, I don't need their approval. However, I like having uh, people think, hey, you're doing good or you're inspirational. I like that. But it's not going to get me to the next level of my life. What's going to get me to the next level of my life is me, number one, believing myself, me anchoring myself into my values. So my processes are very, very different than they used to be. And I've become resilient in being able to handle that. And that's why I said to you, there's no smooth sailing. I believe there would. I believe there should have been. I always did believe. Oh, I won't suffer. I don't need to suffer. I'm going to go through life without suffering. Well, that was bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the, the first thing of suffering come along. I just about faltered. So I had to learn how to build resilience. But it can't come to me properly until I know who I really am, and I anchor into my values, and I'm strong in my self worth. Because it just, it just, it's not sustainable. It's not a good foundation. 
So my processes now are, this is not about me at all. This is about something that's happening on the outside. So I'm, I'm like in a cocoon in the storm. I'm the calm and the chaos. And so I come back to who am I really? My philosophy, you know, this is my, this my, I, I'll go back to my philosophy all the time, my values, my why statements, and just go, has this got any bearing on these things? No, it doesn't. It's just an external thing that's happening. And my internal is I am who I am. I'm secure in me. I anchor into my values. Um, and that's it. That's my process now. Uh, and it, it, it could be anything, Robbo. Like I know that I can't, look, I can't even, I can't even control the outcome of how my wife thinks. And she's the closest person to me. So my, if there was something to go wrong in our marriage now, it would be me having to go, okay, I'll take my responsibility on anything of my part of it, of anything. But how am I going to be, I'm going to back, go back to anchoring into my, my values and my identity because as soon as I don't do that, I'm then answering to somebody else and giving them my power away. And um, and we know that beautiful statement by Viktor Frankl that stimulus they're from stimulus to response. There's a space there's a space between stimulus and response will show your freedom, you mm-hmm. know, or your growth, you know. So, and uh, that's been one of the greatest things for me to ever actually anchor into is that. Um, it sounds like yeah. previously you'd come from that insignificant syndrome, so you would do things looking for the significance, like the praise or the outcome, whether it's from your wife, whether it's from contractors that you work with where and you want to feel like yep i'm i'm recognized here as doing a job whereas now you know that it's just the right thing to do and if you get that recognition it's beautiful and you accept it because acceptance is important and and you like it and that's a human nature thing it's it's great and but you don't do it for that recognition you do it because you know who you are you know what your mission is your purpose your values everything in the blueprint that we create, like you said, going back to your why statements and your personal philosophy. So if you just continuously operate from that space, if you get that judgment from other people or the, you know, if they don't give you that praise, you know, it's not about you. If you're operating from that space, it's the projection of their challenges. And that comes without judgment as well, but that's the reality of how people's perceptions show up. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You know, that's, it's not that it's not, it's it's like now I've got the horse before the car, and that's the simplest way of saying it. Mm. It's, it's now now I have the horse before the car, and rather than the cart before the horse, you know. And you could probably say it a different way. You could say before I was going ass first. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that go for you? Yeah, not well. <laughs> I ended up with shit all over my face. <laughs> what do you say to to people listening at the moment? and maybe blokes because you're a bloke um, that are going ass first. It's okay. It's okay. That's number one. It's all right. You know, first thing is we've got to be compassionate to ourselves. So the best thing that I've ever heard said to me was from me and it was, it's okay. Mm. It's all right. You know, and then, uh, what else would I say is is take the time to find out who you really are. Just take that time. And if you don't know, it's be, then work out why you don't know. It's like I didn't know and I spent a lot of time searching for identity in all sorts of different things, all sorts of different vices, all sorts of different actions, all sorts of different stuff. 
but I never really went, why do I feel this way? Like, so ask, ask yourself the questions, the what questions, the yes questions, the why questions. And um, don't confuse yourself. And don't get too, like, heady with this shit. You know, don't get too analytical with it. Don't go down these rabbit holes that you can't come back out or, like, get some good people around you. Like, I like to look at it like this. So with leadership, going back to leadership and self-leadership, Robert, is that we need three different types of people in our world, right? We need a mentor, someone that we look up to, and I have a heap of different ones for different things. And so we need someone that's up here, above us, can always see down on things. Then we need the iron sharpens iron mentors, which are our brothers, which is our peer group, which is like our mastermind. That mm. It's like they can see all the shit all around me. They can say, we're with you, we're, we're here, we're for you, and have you thought of this? And, and they're the ones that you give space to to come into your world and 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 teach you as well because of their journeys. Like that, mm. that's the sharp iron sharpens iron theory. And then here's the most important key, but this for me is the most important key, is I can have those two, but then it becomes like the Red Sea and the Dead Sea story. And I know you, you probably know a little bit about that. Um, the Dead Sea has got no life in it, but the Red Sea is full of life. And there's one reason is because the reds, they both have water coming into them, but the Dead Sea doesn't have outlet. It doesn't have water going out of it. And so when you think about it like that, it's like I'm being mentored. I have my brothers, my peer group, my tribe, my iron sharpens iron. And, you know, I've got some great ones who just take the piss out of me, which is really good. I get my feet on the ground. <laughs> like I, my older brother's here today in our offices doing some stuff in our studio. That's why we're not in it at the moment. And, it was so good to see him because the first thing he did was take the piss out of me. It brings my feet straight back to the ground. You know, like yeah. that's the that's the iron sharpens iron. Then the most important, like I said this a couple of times, but I'm trying to make a point here. The most important one is to mentor someone, is to have someone that you're signing into because we can receive all this, but we've got to give. And that's the whole premise here. And we grow by doing that. You know what? My leadership style has gotten better because I teach people. Mm. It's because I'm there for people. And, I, and, and I, that's how it grows. And one of the six core human needs is actually contribution. And what we know is that the way that people contribute actually makes a big difference. So contribution for a monetary um, to a charity, it's not enough. It doesn't actually no. give you a physiological change. Contribution to someone else's life from that leadership capacity, teaching, giving, uh, leading, is actually what changes the physiological state of the giver. So that's what would convert the Dead Sea into the Red Sea and give it life yeah. is by, by yeah. with that outlet. So good, good little um it's not advice, it's you sharing your experience. And in the mastermind yeah. last week, we did this where <laughs> I, I set the rules that all the guys, uh, one guy would bring a challenge and then all the guys could respond, but they couldn't respond with any advice. They couldn't respond with any opinions. All they could respond with was, well, in my experience. This is what mm-hmm. happened. In my experience, this is how I've seen that play out. So even the way that you framed it there, it was saying, you know, this has worked for me and this is what I did. So I think that's a um, a really good kind of foresight mm-hmm. for for the guys that are going ask first. It's okay and yeah. there's always a way to, to learn about yourself, find the mentor, yeah. mentors, find the tribe so that iron sharpens iron and then with your learnings, you know, let let that um, lead or teach or uh, sort of mentor someone else and some other people. Mm. Can I just add something to that? As Please well? do. Uh, in my experience, 
in my experience, the, the mentoring someone else is more about your ears than your mouth. And it's more about listening than it is about talking. It's more about, yeah, like you know, you and I are, are huge. We love the optimal listening style of things. And and that podcast I was talking about before, that was called, I think it was called Optimal Listening, uh, that one with Simon Sinek and Dear Khan, because that's what she activated. So the mentoring down for me, or not so much down, but the mentoring to somebody else is more about listening than actually giving your advice. You know, it really is. It's more about because you'll you'll hear more, you'll and you'll connect more. And sometimes people just need to talk rather than be talked at. You know, so a lot of times. Yeah. And that's <laughs> yeah, that's what a big part of what we do in in the groups as well with that active listening where we we listen with the intent to understand, not with the intent to respond. We listen without judgment mm-hmm. and we let people talk and and also then we can add in the empowering questions to uh, from a place of not judgment but a place for for the other people to express themselves even more because every human being, whether they know it or not, they need. So what they want is to be seen, heard and felt. We need to be seen, yeah. heard and felt. And often yeah. we're not, we don't feel like we are seen or heard or felt or all of the above. So you open up mm-hmm. that space and allow people to talk without judgment and without response. And that meets uh, the core needs of being hurt yeah. and and yeah. being seen and being felt sort of tie into that yeah. as well. Yeah. And, and you know what and you know what else with that I like just want to add again is that people will come up with their own answers if they're heard properly. People will be able to solve their own problems if they can be heard properly. And it's it's for me it's it's that's evidential as well. Because Absolutely. I've seen it so many times when I just ask the right question, you know, what else? Is there anything else? And all of a sudden they start going, oh, it's not so bad. I've got it all out. I can see how to get around this. You go, okay, I'm with you. And that's all it is. It's that jar analogy that you know that I shake in in the work that we do. And uh, we get we get muddy. And, yeah, we get the monkey mind. We get all clogged up. We're all, we've always got thoughts. We've always got feelings and emotions. And yeah. often they're all caught up in each other and that clogs yeah. our view. It changes our perception. It creates these disempowering emotional experiences for us. So there's different strategies to be able to create create that clarity. And I've always said to people, I don't have the answers that you're looking for. You do, but I can help mm-hmm. you tap into them. Mm-hmm. And that yeah, comes with beautiful. creating and holding space, that feeling of safety, yeah. helping them support their their core human needs uh, and obviously the listening piece as well. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful, mate. Mate, uh, very mindful of time. I, I'm actually, uh, actually, I want to throw one one more thing at you. So, whether or not I'll catch it will be my choice. I think you will, and you've kind of covered it, but <laughs> I'm just curious to know what how you put it. But we always share podcasts and books with each other. And uh, and you've gifted me a couple of really good books as well. And we would often then give a recap to each other, whether it was in person when we're training or whether it's still now via via WhatsApps or the catch-ups on the, the Zoom as well. And one thing that I learned about you very quickly was your insatiable thirst for learning. You would just devour books and podcasts, but then you would actually be able to regurgitate how you're going to utilize it or how you do utilize it or how it fits into your philosophies. And like you said, the, the um, 
chewing. What, what was you saying? You you chew the whole fish, and, the spit fish. Out, and spit out the bones. <laughs> How much of your you've kind of shared that you know business has had its challenges, family has had its challenges, health, everything has had your challenges, but you you know you're doing quite well at the moment in life. How much of your thriving existence these days do you attribute to your insatiable thirst for learning? Yeah, in short, 100%. Um, my insatiable thirst for learning is, and it comes back to what I said about leadership. It starts from when you first open your eyes as a baby, you start learning. Well, actually, in the mother's womb, we start learning, you know. Um, but it's it's this one word, curiosity. And we can never not afford in life to not be curious. Those who aren't curious, it's, I feel for people who aren't curious. I, and, I, and I won't judge anybody for it at all, no way in the world. Um, I, I don't know their experience. I can't, you know, don't know where, where, they're, where they're at. But curiosity is the answer to, it really is the answer to growth. Like I would not have gone down this road of starting a podcast. I would not have gone down this road of self-development. I would never have gone down this road of going, Hey, I feel feel pretty fucking lost right now. How am I going to find myself? And you know, like I've read a lot of books and I've I've, I've understood a lot of things and and I've added and adapted and adopted lots of different streams of thinking and full rounded. Like I like to believe I'm fairly full rounded. I'm I'm very open to listening to anybody's stand on any sort of belief from atheism to to evolution to creation to to whatever it is your beliefs i'm I'm open because i know that i'm going to learn something from you i'm actually going to learn so the number one thing is is for me is curiosity um and my insatiable desire to learn comes from my curiosity not only to know myself better but to help what's your number one core value is help others helping others yeah, contribution in that way. Yeah. yeah. So it's not just for me. It's got to be for others. What's your greatest challenge moving forward? My greatest challenge moving forward. My greatest challenge moving forward would be to see To be able to articulate the message simply, that's my greatest challenge, is to make sure that people get it, uh, the message that I'm trying to put out. I think that's my greatest challenge. You know, we could say, oh, it's finances and more money grow will help us grow. But you know what? Money can only solve money problems. It won't solve anything else. If you're listening to this today and you think that having more money is going to solve all your problems, it's, it's bullshit. You know, it's only going to solve money problems. Yes, it's a commodity to help us grow and we've got great plans with finance and stuff like that, what we're doing. However, um, I think to get the message out in such a simple way that everyone, it prickles people's ears. And so if one person says, I heard something that was simple and I'm changing my life from it, then that challenge has been worth it. I love that. It, it makes complete sense to me. And as I hear you say that, I'm thinking the simplicity aspect comes through what you're doing, which is the the podcast as well, which is allowing people to share stories yeah. because it's a simple method of communication that can actually get lost in translation a lot, especially these days. But there's a lot of evidence uh, that tribes around the globe and uh, 
groups around the globe, what we know about way that people learn differently at a different level. You can't say it's better. There's no better or worse, but at a very different level, the way that people learn is through hearing other people's experience and other people's stories, like what we kind of briefly yeah. went over there. So that simplicity, yeah. uh, to simplify things, you know, simplicity is one of your top core values and uh, you've got simply click there. But on the podcast, mate, what what is the, the podcast for all the people listening and uh, why was it born and what's the vision with it? Um, why it was born, but it was born through inspiration. It was born through, it, it was born through, I've always had a desire for a platform and I've gone to the wrong one so many times and I'm not seeking. Give me an example with that. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I would get involved with church leadership and then be, before long, I was put on the, on the speaking roster and I'd be on that platform. But for me, it wasn't the platform that really aligned with who I really was. So when I discovered when I started going down that path and a lot of that work was our first one-on-one, our first dive in deep session unlocked some things. And that was, you know, way back before you first went to Sweden uh, the first time with Ollie. Um, So it was way back then. When I started unlocking that, I realized that platform's not right for me. Mm. And so the desire to have a platform for me to be able to to speak my truth, uh, that was where it came from. The podcast itself is... Yeah, and good. Thank you for asking that question then too, by the way, because uh, people need to hear that. The podcast itself is called The Conflab. And it's an interesting story. I've got to give this quick backstory, and I know we're, we're looking at time, but The Conflab, it, it means an intimate or private discussion or conversation. And so that's what the meaning of the word is. And I, I, had, I used to work for this shop fitter, and one of the greatest – mentors of my life gary schultz his name was and um i'd always be in the shit like I'd, the boys would be playing up on a side at kalgoorlie or somewhere like that you turn it up with had, had a few beers i would always be in trouble somehow and i'd get this phone call from gary and you know whenever i get a phone call from gary i'd be looking at it going do i really want to answer this right <laughs> now but then i felt like he could see me so like he was almost godlike in a way so i, I go he's watching me not answer this phone call right now so i have to answer it <laughs> and then i'd get this knife we need to have a conflict and I go straight away and go, Oh, shit, here we go. And, um, and so when we're thinking about how do, what do we call a conflict? What does it look like? And for me, it's all just about private or intimate discussions or conversations. I'm just having a convo with a mate and allowing him to shine, allowing his light to get brighter and mine to get a little dimmer, but I'm creating a platform for him to get his message out. And so that's what I'm looking forward to having you on because you know, people will just really anchor into you and resilience. So I woke up, we were, we were tossing around names. How does it anchor into what we believe in, what we're doing? And I woke up like about four o'clock one morning before I woke up, just before my eyes opened, the word, the conflab came into mind. And I just sort of almost laughed. I went, that's that bloody slang that Gary used to use, the conflab. That's that, it's just slang. It's not a word. And it's for some reason, it kept resonating in my head. and. So I got up and got into my routine and then I looked up the word conflab and it actually means an intimate or private discussion or conversation. So that's that. what we want to do with conflab, where the dream is, is we're doing seasons and there's reasons for the seasons. Oh, that's poetry. You're a poet <laughs> um, and you didn't know it. Didn't know it. Um, is because like identity was one really important thing to me. This next season is resilience 
the next season after that's about mental ill health and then the fourth season is belonging and as to you know you the the six main human needs um but the the need for these subjects and trying to bring relativity so we're we're doing it a little different where we're just trying to bring people who aren't really that well known but maybe have a influential pocket of people they know closely um and just trying to bring their stories out so it can become influential for people for growth in those areas so there's some of the areas that i know myself where where i've really struggled with myself is belonging like where do i belong you know um identity resilience do i have the resilience i didn't have it for a long time and mental ill health and i was only speaking to someone earlier and they said everybody on the planet at some level will struggle with mental ill health and that could be at a very small level or it could be a very large scale mm. and some of the guests we've had on this this first season identity have told us straight up that they were even diagnosed within 10 years before they tried to take their life 10 years before and they they felt ashamed that they actually were diagnosed because they had a good life apparently mm. so that's the podcast. I hope that explains it to everyone. That sure does. And that's the Conflab, C-O-N-F-L-A-B, the Conflab. Uh, and I'll link that up in the show notes with everything else. Where, uh, Actually, before I get your details of where the, the listeners can find you, is there anything else you'd like to leave with the listeners or anything you'd like to ask me? What I'll leave with the listeners is this. Be compassionate with yourself. Give yourself a break today. Take the pressure off. Take some time. Find some silence. Find some solitude. Do some meditation. But number one is give yourself a break. There's so much pressure in this world, and we've seen it over the last couple of years with this thing that we could never, ever have thought would ever happen. It wasn't even in anyone's mind. That, that this could actually happen. And now people are living in fear of it potentially happening again at some stage. And you've got to consider it could. And I'm talking about the pandemic, that is, or whatever one wants to call it. But my advice to everyone is to, it's, it's okay. Give yourself a break. Show some compassion. Find some silence. Get some solitude. And get some salt water around that as well because the ocean is phenomenal. Um, what can I ask you, Robbo, is I actually can't ask you anything um, because I know you'll give me a fantastic answer. But what I can say, and I may get a little emotional, is please, please keep fucking doing what you're doing, please. Couldn't have said it at a better time, mate. I love what I do and it takes a lot of effort. It's it's not it's not easy, um, but it does drive me. And and to hear that from your heart and see that emotion on your face right now, it's um it's beautiful. It's it's really sunk in. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. You're very welcome. Nath, where can people find you online and follow what you're doing apart from the Conflab? People who want to connect, people who want to follow more of your journey. Yeah, for sure. Please, like, just reach out to me and ask me any questions at all about anything. I'm not here to, 
to get a million likes. You know, Robert knows that. But I've got an Instagram handle at Nath Cartledge. That's N-A-T-H-E Cartledge. Um, you can jump on my website. It's the same. It's NathCartledge.com. And that's N-A-T-H-E-C-A-R-T-L-E-D-G-E.com. Just shoot me a message, a DM on Facebook as well. You'll find me there. Um, if you type in the Conflab, you'll probably find that. And so, yeah, like I'm open to talk to anybody at any time. I'm available. And um, and that is doesn't give people license. And I'll have a boundary around that. And that's the honest truth. However, I just want to hear people. That's the main thing. You know, I've got two ears for a reason and one mouth. So I should listen more than I speak. <laughs> <laughs> Nath, you're a legend. You're a very kind, humble man with a beautiful soul. You are impactful, influential, and inspirational. Keep shining your unbeatable light to the world, my man. Thank you so much, Robbo. It's been such a pleasure being on here, mate. Loved it. There you go. What an unbeatable legend. I'm so grateful to have Nath in my life and I'm sure you got some value from this chat too. Make sure you check out Nath's podcast, The Conflab, and I'm really proud of what he's created over there and I've personally enjoyed listening to all of the episodes. And you can follow Nath online at nathcartledge.com so, and all of his LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook handles are on there so you can follow him across those platforms. And you can find all of these hyperlinked in the show notes to this episode. Gents, don't forget to check out Unbeatable You for your chance to create true wealth, lasting impact, and to unlock midlife mastery. You can check out all the details at brettrobbo.com forward slash unbeatable you. Keep thriving, and as always, remember, if not now, then when? If not you then who? This is your opportunity to live unbeatable. Unbeatable.